0: Maybe I'm a, a week too early for this question, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Do you have a favorite NFL team? Anyone, like, follows the NFL? A, on the count of three, just shout out. If you have your favorite NFL team, shout out the name of that team. One, two, three. Hey! Oh, all right, cool. <laughs> he came in late with Browns. They're always coming late to the party. This. No, and I, actually, I have no room to talk on that because what I was going to tell you is um, I am, tragically, a, a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Um, and, and, and really, it's like an accident of birth. Um, like you know, it's sort of a geography thing, like I was born and i and I mostly grew up. I was born in Michigan, but I grew up, which would be the Detroit Lions, that's not better. Uh, I grew up near near Tampa, and so growing up as a child of the 80s, we would see the, the Buccaneers with the creamsicle uniforms and everything, and it was like, oh, this is our, our local team. And so, like, I, I came by it honestly. Also, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as an organization were started the year I was born. So really, we were born the same year, which kind of, I think, cosmically sort of ties us together, you know? It's sort of like that, like, Chinese zodiac, like, year of the dragon kind of thing. Like, this is the year of the Buccaneers, the year I was born, so... So, there is that, and um, being, being a Buccaneers fan has cost me some things over the years. Um, they, they actually are second only to the Cleveland Browns in, uh, in playoff droughts, so they, they just have not seen the playoffs in just a decade or more, and so they're, they're in some ways, historically, the, maybe the second worst team of all time. Um, so that's, that's hard, that's hard to deal with um, as a fan, and, but, but it's cost me some other things to be a fan of the team. Uh, bec- my, my my love for them has uh, has cost me something. I've purchased tickets to games, and so I've gone to see them play. So that costs you something. Um, I have the NFL Sunday ticket, so on Sundays I can watch the games at my house, um, and that costs me something emotionally because um, I, I I think I think I get more upset than I care to admit. And it ruins my mood a little bit around my family around dinnertime if they lose. And since they lose a lot, I'm angry a lot. And so there's that. Um, I have like a Buccaneers mug. I've got, some, you know, some merch and stuff. So it, it, it costs me something to, to be a fan of this team. But as I was thinking about it, I, I just thought, I don't love the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I like them. I like them because I don't love football. I really like it. Okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy watching it. I enjoy the celebrations. I love, you know, let's high five someone. I love the excitement of it. But it's not like core deep for me. It's not like this thing that you say, oh, this is like one of the deepest loves of your life. I just really enjoy it, but I, but I keep it in its place. It is, it is entertainment, right? And I think we all understand that there's a difference between loving something and liking something, even though a lot of times we love things that we, that we actually only like, or, or we say that we love things that we actually only like, there is a difference there. You can like many, many things, but you can only love a certain few things, and that love that you experience because it's, it's sort of all-encompassing and it goes deep down into your soul, um, it's a really big deal, and I think we all understand that. And so we've been in this series called The Main Thing to start off the year and talking about what is the the main thing or or the main few things that we can focus on for 2019. And and really we're looking at what Jesus said was the main thing because he's the creator of us. And so if we are created beings, we should look at what he says about what we should do and what we should be about and what does he say is the main thing. And I didn't think we could do a series about the main thing without talking about this idea of love. Because even the rest of our culture outside of the church knows love is so central, right? The Beatles saying all you need is love and love is all you need, right? Love makes the world go round. God is love. Like all the things we say about love, I think we all recognize it's really, really important. Even if you are the most staunch, like materialist where you believe that the only things that are real in life are, are sort of physical things and chemicals and atoms, still you get misty-eyed and, and, and mystical about love, Right? when we start talking about love, nobody writes, a, nobody writes a Valentine's card that says, I love you, which is purely a chemical reaction in the hippocampus of my brain. Like, we don't say that. We, we still go to this sort of mystical place when we're talking about love because it is so important to who we are and, and, and what we're all about. And so I want us to talk, about it because Jesus brings the concept of love front and center um, in the ancient world and, and 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 really makes a big thing out of it. And what he says, I think, can be pretty instructive for us. And when Jesus brings it up, it's actually in response to a, a question. It looks, like a, it looks like a technical legal question, and Jesus answers the technical legal question with some thoughts about love. And so I want to read it to you. It's from Matthew chapter 22. Uh, And we'll, we'll put it up on the screen, starting with verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? let me give you a little context here. The Pharisees and Sadducees are, are sort of religious ruling groups in Israel at that time. And so they're constantly challenging Jesus. They, they have slight different takes on the law and different belief systems a little bit, but they're constantly challenging Jesus to say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Like they would do with any rabbi or teacher in the ancient world. You always challenge their stuff. And so they came together and, and they realized that Jesus had like, had a mic drop earlier on, on the Sadducees, so the Pharisees were like, man, did you hear what he did to the Sadducees? That was incredible. Like, well, let's, let's ask him a question. And it says, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. When we think lawyer, we think courtroom, trial, civic law. This is religious law, so it's more like a legal scholar, a religious scholar expert than what we think of as like a trial lawyer kind of thing. So this religious expert Uh, comes and asks Jesus this question, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Now, the law in the Old Testament, there's 612 laws and then many other laws they made about the laws. So you have all of this body of, of, of teaching for the people, all of these laws, do this, don't do this, thou shalt not, thou shalt, you know, that kind of thing. And so everyone in the ancient world is living around, or in the Jewish world anyway, are living around those laws and trying to follow them. And there was differing schools of thought about which laws matter more than others. They would refer to them as a weighty law or, a, or sort of a lighter law. So which of the laws are, are most weighty? Which of the laws, like, you need to get these couple right and the rest of them are okay. And if you kind of fudge on that one a little bit, it's okay. But, like, what are, the, like, the main thing laws? What, is the, what are the important laws? And so they're actually coming to Jesus and basically saying, hey, what is the main thing out of all the laws that, that we have in hundreds and you know, maybe a thousand plus. What is the main thing? What is the heart of, of, of it all? And listen to what Jesus says in his response. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what is he saying? The main thing is love. Loving God and loving people. That's the heart. Everything else hangs on that. All the laws about sanitation and like um, uh, different different ways to handle relatives and 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 all of, you know, how you handle transactions, just all of this stuff. At the end of the day, here's the heart of the thing. Love God. This is trying to help you learn to love God and love people. If you can just if you could be good at anything, be, be good at this. That is your main thing, loving God and, and loving people. Now, that's, uh, that's intense. He impacts it a bit. He says, love God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. That's not liking God. That's not like, oh, I'm kind of into him. That's like, no, you love with all of your being, your heart, soul, your mind, your strength. That's, that's an intense thing. That is not casual. So here's the question as you read it and as we think about it. This is a question for you to ask yourself. Do I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Like if someone met me, they would go, man, man that person really loves God. He's, he's all in. She's all in. I can just tell. Like it just flows out of her. She loves God with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength. If someone met you, would they, would they say that? Or would they, would they not even know God's a thing for you? Would it not even appear as a, as a factor in your life in, in, in any way? So how do you know? How do you know? Not, not, I can't judge for you. How do you know if you're all in with God, if you actually love him, not just like him? Well, I think there's some ways we can evaluate. Maybe, let me, I want to try to give you some handles on this. Maybe some questions for you, not to ask each other, but a question that you can ask yourself um, to, to, to determine where am I at in this relationship with God? So here's one question. Number one, is Jesus for you one of many or you're one and only? Is Jesus for you, one of many, or your one and only? Jesus, when he was walking around teaching, um, was very popular, and he did a lot of stuff, and and people wanted to be around him, and they wanted to learn from him, and they wanted to receive miracles from him, and they wanted to be healed by him, and fed by him, and all this stuff, And, and that... That, when, when you do that for people, that really draws a crowd. In fact, Luke, the gospel writer Luke, records this, this scenario in Luke 14. It says, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned, and he said to them. Now, let's, let me stop there for a second. Great crowds are swarming around Jesus, and, um, and he's going to, in just a second, we're going to read it. He's going to turn and say something to them. So imagine the masses who have been healed by him, who have heard his teaching and are inspired? who are walking around the Sea of Galilee on the shores. They're kind of crowding around him wherever he goes from all these towns. People are just flocking to him. And it's, and it's huge. And look, if you're trying to build a movement, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good start, right? Like it's working. Um, and, and, if, and if I was there, you know, like if I was one of Jesus' disciples or closest followers, I, I might have told Jesus like, hey, don't say anything weird, okay? Because it's going really well for you. Um, people are loving you, like this thing is gaining steam, I think we've really got something here. And and, and the temptation would be if Jesus' goal was to keep the party going, like right there he could have turned to the crowds and been like, hey, um, we're gonna set up a fair, a carnival right here on the water. You're gonna love it, you guys, um, all the wine you want, I can just take the water right here and turn it into wine. This is gonna be awesome. Later on, if you wanna check this out, I'm gonna be walking on water. It's really cool. If you're hungry, there are loaves and fishes over there for days, guys. I can make more. Don't you worry. Crunch all you want. We will make more. Like, if Jesus is trying to keep the party going, that's what he would say in this moment of great popularity. Like, man, let's, let's do this. But that's not what he says. What he says is far more difficult and awkward Verse 26, he turns to them and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Can you like hear the record player scratch when he says that in the room? People were like, uh, what? <laughs> it was really cool just a second ago. You were su- super cool. You really had a good thing going. You were like healing people and you said nice things and talking about loving people and whatever. And then you just said, you have to hate granny? <laughs> like, what? You gotta hate mom and dad and, and you, list, you, you didn't. it wasn't like, oh, did I mishear him? Did he say you have to hate your mom? No, he named every family member. You gotta hate all of them and then be my disciple. And bonus, He says, whoever does not bear his own cross, they know what that is. That's a Roman execution device. That's not metaphoric, right? It's not like, oh, bear our cross. Yes, we need to like symbolically. It was like, he's like, hey, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to pick up a cross and die. Uh, Right then, I'm like, okay, it got weird and I'm out. I was with you and then you started the hating the family thing and then I'm like on a Roman torture device like, I'm not, I'm not in on that. If, if me following you means I have to hate Granny, it's not gonna work because I kind of like her and she's really sweet and I don't know why anybody would do this. But but it can't be that he means literally hate those people because it actually would contradict what we just read in Matthew 14 about how you need to, that, the, that all of the law and commandments hangs on you loving God and loving people. Hating your family doesn't exactly fit this idea of, Loving people because they're people too. The ESV that we're reading from translates it as hate, but the contemporary English translates that same word as love me more. And so it it gets us into this idea that Jesus isn't saying literally hate people. He's saying there needs to be a great degree. You need to uh, be in love with me and in a loving relationship with me, that by comparison, you know, it's, it's just a far, it's, it's, it's far and above the other relationships, even the important relationships in your life. It's not that all of the relationships are competing for your affection. It's that Jesus is, is, is the premium of all that. It's not like they're all in a race. He's the only one on the track. He is it, um, and, and he wants to be in that place, and he's saying, hey, if you're gonna follow after me, you need to love me, um, and that lands really hard on American ears, I think. Lands hard on mine as as I'm reading. I'm like, man, that's intense. And it probably landed pretty hard on theirs too. Like they love their mom and dad also. But he's challenging us to love him, not just like him. And he's challenging us to love him uh, in in almost like this exclusive way and not just have him as one of many competing options of like, well, I kind of love this and I kind of love this and and I'm sort of spreading my affection uh, around. Um, yeah, you're going to love other people for sure, but that, even that is supposed to flow out of this primary love relationship that you were in with him. So how does that sit for you? Is Jesus ultimate for you or is he something just further, much further down the line? And how do you even answer that? How do you know if he's ultimate for you? Well, I, I think there's a couple ways you can think about it to access it. One is this, um, how do you spend your money how do you spend your money? Now that seems like a weird thing to insert here in a talk about love, but the truth is where you put your money is a great indicator of where your heart is. And so if you, uh, if you spend all of your money on yourself, then what you mean is I love me, right? Um, if you spend all of your money on yourself and, and, and like your family, you love yourself and you love taking care of them, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that, right? That you would take care of the people around you, um, But do you give money away? Are you generous with what you've been given to charity, to causes that advance Christ's kingdom? Are you giving back to God a portion of what he has given to you? My experience with people who give to this church financially, and I've seen this in every church I've been around in my adult life, the people who give the most money, um, it's it's not that they make the most money. It's, you, you would think, oh, uh, people make a ton of money, therefore they give a ton of money. Sometimes it actually works the opposite of that. I remember, I remember uh, ta- years ago, um, m- many years ago, there was a, there was a guy who, who makes, just makes crazy money, owns this company. The company does like, I don't know, 20 million a year or whatever. And he said to one of the pastors on, on the staff of the church I was at at the time, he said, hey, I, you know, I know there's this idea of tithing, giving 10% of your money. He goes, I, I make way too much money to tithe. And I was like, wait a second, What? I don't, what does that mean? (laughs) I know people who are like, I make too too little and I can't afford to give away 10% of my income. But so it's not the case that people who give the most and who are most generous make the most money. The reality is people who give the most and are the most generous are people who believe that giving is just a natural outflow of love of God. I love God and and therefore, for God to love the world that he gave, I'm going to give and be generous also, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. I'm going to give intentionally and generously and and sacrificially. So one way to evaluate our love is is to just even look at our checkbook and say, like, where's money going for me? And how does the way I spend my money reflect my priorities in my life? Am I actually putting God first? Um, am I am I doing that? I was talking to a friend this week who was saying he had reordered things and he now gives money. Uh, he gives financially to the church to, to expand the kingdom of God. He gives that at the beginning of the month, not just out of whatever he happens to have left over at the end of the month. And I was like, that's smart. You're you're, you're living with priority and saying these things matter first, and I'm going to put God first. So that's one question: How do you spend money? But here's another question to evaluate your love. Let's take it out of the money realm for a second. Let's talk about pain. Um, where do you uh, wh- when you are hurt and when you're feeling pain? Where do you go for comfort? Where do you go? Our culture is a complete dopamine fix, um, and it and it and it is designed to to make us it, the moment we feel a, a, a displeasure or, or frustration or whatever. There are things we can get that are quick hits. To, to temporarily fix that. Now, long-term, they actually hurt us, but in the short-term, they, they can be comfort for us. I, I, you probably know the obvious ones. Ice cream is a good one. Um, alcohol, pornography, video games, um, maybe shopping. There, the, um, likes on Instagram, the little heart, you know, or whatever. Like, these are places that we go when we're hurting to make us feel better. And so when you're hurting... Um, The place that you go to reveals something about about your your affection and your love and what you really value in life. Uh, Author Kyle Eidelman talks about it in his book, Not a Fan, and he gives us the scenario which I thought was pretty good. He says, imagine that a mother visits the school where her kindergarten son attends. The mother's felt a little bit threatened because her son loves his new teacher and talks about her constantly. That's a good teacher, right? During recess, she stands next to the teacher and discusses the child's progress. Her little boy is swinging from the monkey bars, and he falls hard. He gets up crying and runs towards his mom and the teacher. Now, the little boy loves his teacher, but when he approaches them, to whom will he look for comfort? He wouldn't have to stop and think. He would run into his mother's arms. The pain he experienced created an honest moment where his true affection was revealed. When was the last time you were in a lot of pain, a, a job loss, a relationship burned down, a diagnosis came in, the test results came back, and you felt this, this thing, you know, like, like it's like right there. You know what that feels like? That like knot in your stomach of anxiety and, and pain. Where do you go to soothe that? Because that's real. We've all felt that. Where, where, do, where do you go? Because where you go to soothe that pain says a lot about what you're trusting in. In my best days, I go to the Lord. In my best days, if he awakens me in the middle of the night, I will read something good and I will pray and I will focus on him. And, and in my worst moments, I think for me, I would go to video games I would, I would say, like, if I'm getting really good at a video game, I've probably had a lot of pain going on because I'm just, this is a place I go for, for a dopamine hit. So those are some ways to evaluate kind of where we're at in our love relationship with God. But here's another question I want to ask you. Am I more focused on the outside than the inside? Jesus is... Uh, really critical of of, of a lot of his interactions with religious leaders of the day because as they were trying to follow all those laws, what they ended up doing is focusing on outward appearance, outward obedience, making it look like I have it all together when inwardly, their hearts were actually very far from God. You see this in the Old Testament prophets. You see this in Jesus' teaching. How often does he go beyond the surface into the heart? The Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon. He says it's, it's good that you uh, haven't committed adultery, but you are looking at women lustfully. That's in the heart. That's a problem. It's good that you haven't killed anybody, but you have anger in your heart. That's deeper. That's the problem. He's always going, and the reason his teachings have endured for thousands of years, is he's always going into the heart of the thing and focusing on The inside, and when we are in a loving relationship with God, that's what we're doing too. We're not just saying, am I checking all the boxes? Am I going to church or praying or reading my Bible or or whatever? Um, Am I focused more on the outside than the inside? And we have to think about this and think about how do my internals and my externals actually line up. This is weird because our culture in really encourages us to focus on the externals, right? Um, how we look, how we present ourselves. This is what drives a lot of social media. Um, what is the best angle with which you could take a selfie? It's over here, right? It's up and to the right kind of, if that's your good side. I don't know. It's, it's above and kind of down like pro tip. This is why they buy selfie sticks that can extend out over there. Um, I've I've taken maybe two in my life, so I don't I don't know, but I'm just saying uh, there's a reason for that because apparently you look your best from that angle. Um, down here it's like up your nose, that's no good. Like this is the, the, you, this is bonus today, guys. You want to start taking more selfies? This is the the way. Um, and and the the reason for that is because if you're going to take that picture, it'll it presents you sort of in a in a in a, in the best way. And our culture really. Um, goes for that. Let me present you in the best way. How do you stand? What position do you take? How, where's the camera placed? So I can put an image of myself out into the world that looks the best, and it encourages us to focus on the externals, how we appear, and not in, uh, on the, in, in the internals. Um, and so we, we, need to, we need to examine what's really going on on the inside, because that's really the stuff that's controlling us. Like when the chips are down, and we talk about this in in my transformation class, when when we're under stress, all of us go to a place where we want to look good, feel good, be right, or be in control. And those four behavior, those four things kind of drive a lot lot of what we do. And so if we're really going to change, if we're really going to grow or transform or anything, we need to um, examine those things. And I would say, if you're really going to love the Lord, you need to examine what is going on in here. How do you... How do you really get at that stuff? How do you do it? Um, one, one way, uh, I, I think, is, uh, is to, to journal about it and write down what you're, what you're doing. Not just about growth goals. I mean, we do things like that. But really look at what are you saying? Why are you saying what you're saying? Hey, I felt this today. Why did I do that? When you write those things down, it becomes a lot clearer to you, and it helps you to look into the mirror and go, where is my affection really? What do I care about uh, really. Because I, I see a lot of people who claim to care about following God, but, but their heart isn't always in it. And I know what that's like. I've, I've had, I've had those, those seasons in my life as well. Um, and, and it's difficult because sometimes following Jesus puts us at odds with popular culture. American culture teaches and sort of preaches this one way of things or these are the things you should believe. And sometimes following Jesus is going to go against that. You're going to read the scripture. You're going to read his teachings. And you're going to go, I have to walk a different road than the culture around me. Um, and and that's challenging. And for a lot of people, when when what their faith teaches is out of odds or out of sorts with our popular culture, they choose to walk away from the faith, and they say, "Well, I'm just not going to believe that anymore," because I think the truth is we just kind of liked Jesus. We didn't really love him. He was not ultimate for us. Um, so, in this, I mean, in, in this church, we teach the Scripture, and we'll, we will teach it first, and say, "Let's read it, learn it, grow from it, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's not." Popular. We do this because we're trying to love God, not just like him and be an occasional fan. So ask yourself these questions. I can't evaluate them for you. This is for you to evaluate yourself. Am I growing in my affection for Christ? Now sometimes love's a little bit hard to think through. Um, it's, it can be emotional, sort of squishy. But I think it's been helpful for me over the years to think of love like love like a verb to say like, okay, am I being loving? That seems like a state of being, right? But really the question is, am I doing loving things? Am I taking loving action? Has love compelled me to do some things out of that love? Because love moves, it takes action. Um, So ways to express love, actions that I take, uh, for one, and and that many people here take, one is to just mark out time each day to get quiet with God, to read, to pray, meditate, to focus in on him. when you talk about the love languages uh, between couples, a lot of times they'll talk about uh, one of the love languages is quality time. And so where's that quality time with you and God where you just get quiet and pray and read and listen and, and focus in on what he's doing in, in your life? Uh, where is that time? Um, you you got to carve it out. Our sons used to share a bedroom in our house. We have three sons and these share a bedroom. And we made a move about a maybe two years ago at this point, to separate them out into their own rooms because we wanted to divide and conquer them. Um, <laughs> no, but we made the move, we, and we had to kind of rearrange our whole house, like the way the rooms worked and what was flowing where or whatever, and, we, and we, so we gave our kids their own rooms. And the, the biggest driver for that w- with me was um, I really love that moment at the end of the day when I can just go into their room and it's just me and, and one of them and we can talk and we can pray and they're not worried about their brother overhearing or whatever and we can, sometimes we read some stuff. Like, I love that opportunity to just catch up and, and talk with no one else around and that one-on-one time is valuable and if it's valuable with my kids, it's also valuable as, as a child of my heavenly father. So, so one thing you could do is just mark out some time to, to, to make that connection, to, to make that quiet time with, with Christ. The, another thing you could do is serve other people. Matthew 25 talks about that when we serve, you know, the poor and the needy and the hurting and, and all these things that Jesus says when we serve them, it is actually how we serve God. So one thing you could do to say, hey, I love God. I don't just like him. I love him. I'm going to serve him and get involved. We serve other people because we are loved inside and outside this church. You have a, a great opportunity within the church to serve other people, to jump in on a team that serves. A couple of people signed up last week and were like, hey, I want to get involved and plugged in. Um, there are opportunities all over this church to serve. Uh, I was talking to someone this week. Who's a musician? He's like, oh, I didn't know you needed someone in the band. I'm like, well, always, like, we're always looking, like, you know, drummers and guitar players and and people to work on the soundboard and, and all of the things that go on. Stage managers who set up here in the morning. Uh, there's there's a ton of things just on a Sunday morning going on that you could jump in and serve because a lot of people sit on the sidelines and they're like, hey, I'm cool. I'll show up. I'll, I'll clap. I'll cheer. But I'm not in on this. And I just want to challenge you with that. That love shows action. It moves. Um, right now. Maybe your only experience of Area 10 is this room. But there's so much more. We're starting small groups in a few weeks. Get in. Get to know some people. Meet throughout the week in someone's home. But there are other rooms, even right now, in Cartwheels and Coffee, and at twenty-eight ten next to it, there are parents. Er, there are not parents, but there are, are people teaching children about Jesus so that they can understand it at an age-appropriate level. This is good work, and it's valuable stuff that's happening. And we need more people on the team that will do that. That will take a group of elementary school kids and say, like, "All right, let's talk about God." You're sitting there going, "I don't know enough." We will train you. Like we can, we can help you. But can you get in there? Um, and love some kids and 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 serve there. This is an expression of how you love God. The, there's uh, people working with teenagers. There's people in the nursery. Um, there's just good stuff going on. You sign up um, on your on your Try Five card. You can sign up there, um, and we'll get you connected and, and trained, and you can start putting love in action by serving other people. spending Serving, spending time with God, giving of your talent, time, and treasure, putting love in action. This is what the people of God do. We don't just sit on the sidelines and cheer like fans. We actually get in the game and serve as, as team members. And I wanted you to hear all this today because I think Jesus often gets a soft sell in our culture. Jesus is like pitch like he's your buddy, like come hang out with him. He's going to be nice to you. He's going to love you. It's going to be great. And, and, and all of that is true. But I, I think the main thing is Jesus will upend your life. It will be a revolution, not an evolution. And that's a, and that's a big deal. And we need to understand that, that a relationship with God is, is love, not like, it's not like God's just one more piece of a successful middle-class life. It's like, no, this is the heart. He is, he is the, the main thing. And so I want to invite you in to, to serve, to, to spend that time with him quietly, um, to get to know others here in the community. And we can all kind of do this together and become um, not fans of God, but, but really fully devoted followers of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that um, you challenge us into deeper levels that, uh, God, we are dealing with as a, as a church, as individuals here, we are dealing with deep problems, and um, you don't invite us into shallow solutions. You invite us into, into depth, and, and, and you speak into the hard stuff. Um, And so, God, I I thank you for that, and I pray that we will respond to that and we will move further in and more involved with you um, in a love relationship, not where we just step back and kind of like you from a distance. Um, Whatever the next step is for us, whether it's serving, uh, marking out some time to get quiet before you, whether it's getting baptized here uh, and giving our lives to you, I pray we will take that next step. In, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.